1: I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. This
2: is all about trust now and personal responsibility and just being careful and not being selfish. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The
3: idea of an irreversible move was taken off the table. You can't do that when you have no idea where the virus is going to go.
1: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing.
4: And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. The subject of our special programme today is racism in football and in British society after the abuse heaped on England players after last Sunday's Euro 2020 final. But first, the warm weather is arriving and we have just three days to go until all remaining social distancing rules are dropped in England No more work from home guidance No more limits on indoor dining or laws about having to wear a face mask But for how long?
1: Well, a government ministers warned that if cases gets to an unacceptable level, the government will reinstate restrictions. Speaking to Sky News, the Solicitor General, Lucy Fraser, gave the clearest signal yet that Boris Johnson's desire for unlocking to be irreversible may be confounded by
4: the spread of the virus. Speaking of which, the UK reported more than 48,500 new virus cases on Thursday. The number of people in hospital rose more than 42% in a week and more than 520,000 people were told to self-isolate via the NHS COVID app last week. That dreaded ping.
1: Now, the headlines this week have been dominated by a reaction to the racist abuse suffered by some black England footballers after last weekend's defeat in the Euro 2020 final. England defender Tyrone Mings accused the Home Secretary of stoking the fire, with her comments dismissing taking the knee as gesture politics.
4: And now England star Bukayo Saka, one of those on the receiving end of the online trolling, has issued a statement saying that he knew he would be racially abused instantly after his Euro 2020 penalty miss. Police have made a number of arrests in relation to the abuse, and Instagram has admitted that it made errors in allowing the comments to stay up. So
1: what does all this tell us about racism in football and in the country in 2021? We're well, joining us now is Shakuntala Banerjee, who's Professor of Media, Culture and Social Change in the Department of Media and Communications at the London School of Economics. Professor Banerjee, thanks so much for being with us. How widespread is racism in this country now?
2: Great to be here, Roger, and that's a great question. So I think um, we have to look a little further back than the recent events in football in the UK if we're going to talk about racism in the country. Uh, Some 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when I was starting to research the subject of of race and racism, it became apparent that there were obviously some neo-Nazi groups and some far-right groups organising within football. And there was a group called Combat 18 at the time who used to actually get fans to go to stadia simply to chant against the black players. Football isn't just racist in the UK. Obviously, there's a lot of racism across Europe. And so black footballers and footballers of colour who go out and play in stadia, whether those happen to be in Bulgaria or elsewhere, have frequently been subjected to quite horrific and overt racism. So I want to acknowledge up front that this isn't just a British problem. It's It's a problem worldwide. But having said that, I also want to say your question leads me to ask why are we just focusing on football? Because none of this would be possible if people in the highest realms of government in this country for at least the last 10 years, and usually um, going back even further than that, have made speeches, incendiary speeches, and have passed laws and have done things which have actually enabled a range of racist attitudes and behaviors to be fueled in the public domain with very little check or balance. I'll give you some examples. Post-2001, I was studying anti-Muslim racism and Islamophobia. We had multiple different kinds of attacks reported within the first three weeks of politicians making incendiary speeches about Muslims in the country. There were small school children having their their headscarves snatched off their heads. There were people being punched in the face as they walked along. There have been racist murders of, of South Asian and other asian students around the pandemic there have been east asian students being punched in the face people being beaten to the ground people being spat at even in london which is an incredibly diverse and tolerant city and further to that you've had the runnymede trust just bringing out a report which talks about systemic racism being endemic across every single area of the uk including policing governance health policy you name it people are far more likely oh. to die if black so I think we we're seeing something which is fueled by the racism of politicians in governance and runs right the way through society. Obviously, it came to a head around the time of Brexit and it has only got worse in the last five
4: years. Mm, Professor Banerjee... Uh- uh, that is a long list of ills, is it not? um So, in some senses, I suppose you you weren't surprised, then, were you, at the level of trolling of black England players? Because, on the flip side of that, the the abuse and the kind of l- the depths that football sank to is, you know, in the 1980s, for example. We aren't at that stage now. I mean. The the intervening 20, 30 years, there has been a movement against that, surely. So were you surprised by the level of trolling of Black England players?
2: Um, Caroline, I wasn't surprised at all by the levels of trolling. I'm writing a book about social media and hate. And one of the things that people keep saying to me is that surely racism has got worse online, that people disagree with each other online, that there's a lot of incivility on these platforms and so on and so forth. And there is a move towards blaming the technology for the kinds of things that are happening. But actually, there are many countries which have Instagram, and there are many countries in which you don't see these levels of hate online. And the kinds of people I've been interviewing tell me that on a daily basis, they receive dozens, if not hundreds, of death threats. They receive the N-word, their children get threatened. I myself have received death threats and rape threats, not necessarily from British nationalists, but from Hindu nationalists in India. And all of this comes via social media. But it isn't stoked by social media. It's stoked by politicians. It's stoked by newspapers. And here the mainstream media has actually played a very bad role. So while people in football have been mobilizing against racism and doing a damn good job, an incredible job, to show racism the red card and all of the players working towards diversity, they are being actually held back and combated by some of our own mainstream media in Britain. And that includes and that includes the kinds of statements that get made about refugees and migrants in the mainstream right. media.
1: Let me say, in fact, we're going to be speaking to the Red Card organisation, in fact, in the second part of the programme. As you say, an organisation that's very much pushing against uh, racism in football in particular. But let me ask you, uh, Professor Banerjee, because if we're talking about time in all this, I, I remember four decades ago, three decades ago. Racism was almost acceptable in most quarters, in many quarters. Casual racism was was almost just common currency. That is different now. And we saw, I suppose, in the England team, a push towards uh, inclusion on many different levels at the official level, but also in the public support for them. So where is the racism we're talking about? Where does it reside now? Because it clearly isn't as much mainstream as it was.
2: I think you'd have to be someone who didn't experience it on a daily basis to think it wasn't mainstream. In fact, in the last six years, particularly since the Brexit referendum, racism has been the everyday experience of almost all my students of colour, my colleagues of colour, myself included, in, in our journeys on transport, on the streets. And this is in London, which is one of the best places to be in the UK. My own, my, my, my own feeling is that actually the 1990s and 2000s did see a large change in public perceptions of extreme racism. So, for instance, there was a backlash against... Um, if you remember the reality star, Jade, who, who behaved in a particularly um, overtly racist way. But underlying racism, systemic racism, discrimination within jobs and discrimination within healthcare has not been tackled in the same way, even despite the Macpherson report coming out and saying we have systemic racism. In fact, what has happened is that the government has tried to give an acceptable face to racism by putting black and brown people into the roles where they will be saying racist things and following racist policies. So, we should not be fooled at the ground level. I can tell you that there is still a lot of very quiet, sustained racism, and it might take the it might take the um, a simple face change so you walk into a shop and someone has been serving a white person ahead of you, and then you walk in, you're spending the same money, you're buying the same items, but that person's face closes down at the till. they don't look at you in the same way. It might just be that. It might be being followed around when you're shopping because someone doesn't believe that a person with your skin colour could possibly have something to buy. Or it could be the ways in which um, groups of young teenage boys are followed around by the police, are hounded by the police all over London and other large metropolitan areas if they happen to have the wrong skin colour. So it's it's everywhere. It's actually a myth to think that it went away, but it has risen exponentially in the last five or six years.
4: Uh, So what is the key solution then I suppose if this is um, so prevalent and the experience um, that you describe what needs to be done now?
2: Oh, there are so many things that could be done. And here I feel really hopeful because what you also see is a groundswell of people looking for hope and dignity between different races and willing to do something now. So if we were to do three things, one, in government to stop politicians from passing and using racist laws, for instance, against refugees and from and from actually trying to push cultures apart by the incendiary statements that they make around the influx of refugees around things like COVID, if there was to be proper funding of all services, including the health service, so that people didn't feel pressured into fighting with each other. And if the mainstream media were to be put under check when they use language, just like the politicians, which fuels these kinds of flames, you'd see a massive start. And then we mustn't be pushing against the instances of good practice. So for instance when, when English Heritage does something around diversity, they get trolled by the racists massively. Someone needs to put a stop to that. When the footballers take the knee, which is simply a gesture of solidarity for black human rights across the world, you t- they get booed and that is supported. So if we were not fueling racism from the very top, there would be so many fewer small races across this country.
1: Show Racism, the Red Card is the UK's largest anti-racism educational charity. Established back in January 1996, thanks in part to a donation by the then Newcastle United goalkeeper Shaka Hislop. Now, he'd been racially abused himself and wanted to use his status as a professional football player to make a difference through education and in other ways. We're well, joining us now is Steve Goodsell, who's Southern Regional Manager of Show Racism, the Red Card. Steve, thanks very much for being with us today. Welcome to the programme. Let me ask you first... When you heard what had happened after last Sunday's match, the the racist uh, well, graffiti, I suppose is one way of putting it, on social media against some of these players, were you actually surprised or not?
3: Well, I was watching the game, as were well, millions of others, as an England fan, which I have been all my life. And I watched that game with pride of the, the England players' performance, despite the result, because... As a, as a team, as a unit, they've been incredible, best I can remember. And Gareth Southgate and his coaching staff must take credit for that, not just for the football aspect, for the way they conduct themselves. Um, so when it, when the penalties were missed, I'll be honest, it didn't really go through my minds of what could happen, what could be the backlash towards those three players. But in the morning when I woke and sadly, like the rest of us, saw what had been going on on social media, yeah, I did, the realisation dropped that, yeah, of course this was bound to happen because we've been seeing it for many, many years and we've been seeing it all through the past bubble season, so it's very recent. Um, What I didn't expect was the absolute torrent of abuse that that flowed, the vile racist abuse. So that was a shock. But yes, when you look at it in the cold light of day, sadly, it was very predictable.
4: Hmm, predictable. Is this um, attitude worse within football than in the rest of society? Or is this simply, you know, a lightning rod um, through which society kind of expresses itself?
3: What you described there was, is, is accurate. Uh, football is a, a lightning rod, if you put it that way, for what's going on in the society. Now, racism is taking place every single day in the UK. It often goes unreported. There's hate crimes taking place where we've seen spikes in hate crime over the recent years, particularly since Brexit. But it's been there for a long time. But lots of these things go unreported by the person who's the victim and uh, they, they never make it to the headlines like uh, this has. But it's it's been there a long time. We're fully aware of that because we we see it Day in day out, we hear the stories from young people in schools, which is where we do our work predominantly. And they tell us the things that are happening to them, the things that concern them, the things that happen into their parents. And we show them ways of dealing with that. But we also on on the lookout for young people. The young people who aren't born racist. No one's born racist, but some of them have some strange thoughts and uh, ideas and use some some language that we would describe as being racial slurs and if that's left unchecked then it can develop further into what we saw at the weekend and uh, sadly worse well i wanted to talk
1: to you about what what you the work you do in school because that's a very big part of of what your organization does the attitudes you you encounter there do you do you notice that there is a lot of racism is it growing it, it, does it fall into particular categories what, what do you notice about it
3: what we notice from our our, our surveys um, and our studies is that racism is in, increasing in schools it, it has I've been involved in the charity ten years, not as long as Shaka, but you know we're lucky to have Shaka by the way, but it's got worse in, over the last three or four years, I would say, and some of the things that we're getting from schools because schools will contact us. We, we we actually don't need to go out to, to say to schools, work with us. They're coming to us in their droves. And we will ask them, what's going on in your school? And schools are, are more honest now, I feel, about all of these, these issues, including bullying. And then they'll talk about it more. But they'll tell us the things that are going. Some of it is, is out and out. There's been violent activity where they've had to involve the police. Yeah. But much of it is to do with Language, use of language. So I'll give you an example. Some of the things that have been reported to us very recently, things that have been said in school by children to other children. Uh, White children uh, saying to black children, we're going to do a a George Floyd on you. Um, Some black children being told, um, if you let us call you the N-word, which I'm not going to say in full, we will do favours for you lots of uh racism towards um pupils who may be asian and using the p word frequently and racism towards uh people because of their different nationality. so there's still a lot of racism towards eastern european children for example so this is going on all of the time and it's not in every school of course and schools will try and deal with this the best they can but some schools really don't know what to do and they don't know how to have the difficult conversations, which is where we come in because we're very skilled at that and we provide a safe environment where we can find out what they're saying, why they're saying it and explain the meaning of the words and that's something that needs to be done and that's what we do.
4: Gosh, that use of... of. Um the reference that you made to George Floyd, um, that is truly shocking. Why do you think that things have gotten worse, as you describe it, particularly in the last three or four years? What's going on?
3: What's going on? Well, there's, um, you know, we have to look at various aspects of our society. So there's been some um, negative reporting in in some of the, the press and the media about people of difference, about people of different religion in this country so particularly towards muslims there's been a a resurgence in um, anti-semitism there's been all sorts of different forms of racism that have occurred recently brexit has been a catalyst for some of that we noticed a huge change in people's attitudes after that and in some people's minds they felt as though it was now legitimate for them to be able to racially abuse someone in the street. So we were getting those stories. And other organisations that do similar work to us were getting the same. So that was one of the things. And football yeah. has been there you know, we said it's a lightning rod. That that's where people will vent their their vile feelings sometimes because they again they think it's legitimate because they paid money to go to do that. It's not happening in the stadium so much. But we're still seeing it. In the workplaces, and we're still seeing it in the pubs, and we're seeing it in people's homes. Steve,
1: I mean, you, your organisation has been working since 1996. You've been working for many years for this organisation as well. You go into schools, you try and improve matters. There are a lot of other people doing similar work. It isn't working, is it? It's not getting there. Is is there more that needs to be done?
3: It is getting there. It's getting there in terms of the, the people we work with, but we work with we're able to work with relatively few. So in the course of the year, we will be able to, with our resources, with our current resources, we can we can see around about 50,000 young people a year. Now, I'm not saying that we've changed the lives totally of all of those young people, but we have instilled critical thinking in their minds. We've got them to talk about the issues. And I'm sure that we have dissuaded many of them from doing basic things, such as laughing at a racist, so-called racist joke that is said by a a friend or someone they know. And that's a a simple way that children can stop racism locally. So we do make a difference. We do surveys. We know that after we've been into a school, there's been uh, a huge impact and the schools will carry that on. But when you think the size of the population, the number of schools, it's tiny. And more money is needed to fund similar work by us or by by other reputable organisations. And and it needs to be more of a joined-up approach. So the the things that are being said in Parliament uh, with government saying that they're going to to, to, uh, make this high on the agenda now, which they haven't up till now, and there's been some things said by people in government that have not helped. You know, the use of language has not helped because that gets filtered down and people think that it's okay for them to say it. So we are making a difference, but there's more that needs to be done.
4: So you, you're reasonably critical then of government. What needs to change? What should they be doing? I mean, even the FA, the Football Association, um, it, you know, has sometimes been criticised. What more can, can both of those groups do?
3: Well, the Football Association are doing a lot of work now, hmm. but they haven't been in, in, in um, you know, fairly modern times, not as much as they should, and, and they've had some issues themselves with leadership. And it comes from the top. The, the, the leaders really need to to believe in what we're, we're doing, what we're setting out to do, which is to have a, a, a more equality in society, in our own organisations. If the leaders don't fully believe that, it, it, it's not going to happen. And you've just got people at the coalface doing their best. But for, from government, we haven't had that leadership. And we've had mixed messages. We had mixed messages about the taking of the knee. Hmm. You know, almost saying that, it, this isn't good, they shouldn't be doing it and uh, no, I'm not going to criticise people for booing because that's they're, they're entitled to do that that's not great leadership and firm leadership on something so important and describing yeah. people as looking like letterboxes, which has been reported widely again yeah. recently but it, that's true and that doesn't help
1: Bloomberg Westminster listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London